Welcome back, everybody. I'm the tree that got to live another year because we're virtual now. My name's Carter, and we have a super special guest today that has experience managing projects related to ecosystem service assessment and optimization and carbon dynamics in forest ecosystem. He has done spatial analysis work in creating maps in GIS and, and coordinating and conducting field data in Florida. He has lived halfway around the globe and went from cold to hot and now has the best of both worlds here in Stevens Point. So without wasting any more of your time, put your hands on your steering wheel, keep both eyes on the road or the dishes that you're scrubbing or wherever you're listening to for Dr. Timosina. Hey, Carlos, thank you for inviting me to this podcast. And my name is Niles Timosina and I'm an associate professor in forestry. I'm a forest biometrician, so I basically deal with growth and yield models and statistical models that in, in forestry. So. so based on the time that I have gotten to know you uh, through one of our classes, I know that you've had quite the unique, unique experience kind of growing up and getting to Stevens Point. And so yeah. technically, you could say that you started this journey like 7,000 miles away. Is that right? Yes, from in Nepal. I was born and raised in Nepal and I did my undergraduate in Nepal. But you know, Nepal, when I was growing up, we had two years of bachelor's and two years of master's. So I got a master's degree in Nepal, but technically that will be an undergraduate degree because it's a four year. So after mm -hmm. so it's a four year degree here. So it's an undergraduate degree here in the US. Uh, so yes. how can you tell us a little bit about how that differs from here to, I know you mentioned that it's only two years, but how, how different was that from now, like our now it's, education now, here in Stevens Point? Now it has changed in Nepal too. So now they are a four-year degree. It's, it's, it does not exist anymore. But when I was going, when I was going to college there, so we had two years of bachelor's, then two years of, so you after going two years then you'll get a bachelor's degree and then there will be two years of master's but that will be equivalent to an undergraduate degree so when i came here for a master's degree my master's degree in nepal was recognized as an undergraduate degree here in the u.s okay and you know when i was growing up the thing is we didn't have and i was totally completely different education system we had less projects it's most mostly memorizing stuff you know and we had chose annual system and you had like, you did not have any mid semester exam or anything and you had a final exam and it's almost three, four hours exam and you have to memorize everything from the whole, whole year and just write the exam for three, four hours. It was pretty stressful. I don't know, that's, that's a good way to learn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that does sound pretty stressful. So after you graduated um, in Nepal, how, what was your journey like getting to the United States? So, you know, I, in Nepal, I, I did a lot of, as an undergrad, my undergraduate degree was in biology and my master's was in ecology. Okay. And when I was doing my undergraduate at the end of my bachelor's degree, that again, remember it's two years bachelor's and the end of my master's, I, I got interested in, in, in conservation. You know, I got in, interested in conservation. And after my bachelor's, I decided to study ecology. And, and my master's thesis were in Nepal was related to freshwater dolphins. Hmm. So, and in, in during that process, I stayed in national parks because the, the place I worked was inside the, the river I worked was inside a national, popular national park in Nepal. 
So I camped and lived in the national park for two, three months. And I was doing surveys, you know, dolphin surveys. And during that time, I did a lot of side projects too, you know, and I got to experience like first-hand experience, like tiger conservation, rhino conservation. So a lot of like big conservation projects. And I got to interact with students from and Norway, you know, the people from like Agricultural University of Norway, they used to come and do thesis in Nepal. So I got to interact with academicians, the conservation professionals. And I got to see a lot of cool conservation projects and that make me interested and, and make to get to, to learn about conservation or forestry, wildlife more, you know, any, anything that will contribute to sustainable re resource management, you know? Mm -hmm. So, so then I thought I would get more degree, advanced degree. And I know I heard about like the graduate education in the United States here, you know, the, the graduate education in the U.S. is considered one of the best in the world, right? So I thought, okay, I will get a, I want to work, do research. I want to work in, in, in forestry or anything that is related to, you know, natural resource management. And I thought I started exploring um, graduate level, graduate opportunities in the United States. And found that one of the professor when I, I I did my master's in Florida International University in Miami, okay. So when I was doing research for graduate school, so I came across a guy named Joel Heinen, which is my master's advisor, and he had done a lot of conservation-related work in Nepal. So and at that time he was looking. I was interested in the kind of research he did, and I asked him whether he was taking a graduate student, and he said he would love to take a graduate student from Nepal. That's that's how I came to U.S. You know, he took me as his graduate student, and now I'm here in Stevens Point. <laughs> so you mentioned that you did like your master, or that you <clears throat> had a background in ecology. Where did that transition start from going from working with animals and the animal conservation to more? Yes, you know, yeah, that's a very good question. You know, I I did a lot of work in in wildlife too. I did a lot of bird related work. I used to work for a conservation NGO that work with bird and habitat conservation. And we used to, that NGO, you know, we used to do like a lot of community empowerment kind of work, you know, mm -hmm. in, 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 in developing countries, you know, the people in the national park and the surrounding areas are so connected with nature, right? And that's their resource, right? That's all the resource they get for, they get is from the, the from the forest. So, and, and in Nepal, this the community forestry concept is very popular. That basically what they, in community forestry, what they do is they hand over the government forest to the local community, you know, to avoid that common, prop, you know, that, you know, the common property region, right? How if, if, if with common property, if nobody has the ownership, then, then it will degrade, right? Right. So right. to 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 uh, to promote some kind of ownership, so government started this community forestry program. So what they basically do is is they hand over the government forest to the communities, okay, and then communities can manage those forests and sustainably, and they write management plans and things like that. And I was helping as a, from that NGO as as, a, as an employee of that NGO, I got involved in in some of those uh, community forestry projects and where we help the community to inventory forest, you know, to write management plans and things like that. And then at that time, I decided, okay, yeah, the forestry you now is related to wildlife, it relates to water, it's related to so many different things, right? Forest, so I say, okay, maybe I should get a degree, you know, I should be involved in forestry. So if, if, if I work with forest, I can work with wildlife, I can work with, with water, you know, there are a lot of resources, you know, issues connected with forest, and that's why I got into forestry.
And so was like when you were when you were younger, kind of looking back at this, did you have a lot of access to natural resource areas? Like, was there a realization that you had or you know, have you always yes. known you to do this? I, I, even though I, I grew up in Kathmandu, it's a very, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a populous, almost now it's four or five million people. It's a very urbanized area. I grew up in the city, but even though, because Nepal is very mountainous and Kathmandu is a valley, but even though I grew up in a city, but if you go like 10, 15 kilometers away, you will, you can hike, you know, you can see wild animals because it's surrounded by remote hills, you know? Mm -hmm. So even though I'm in a city, but if you just go 15, 20 kilometers away, you'll be in a rural area where you'll see the natural beauty and you can experience wildlife. So that way, and I've always been connected with nature, you know, but I did not, I was not, and I, I grew up watching like wildlife documentaries. You know, when I was a kid, I, my dad used to bring those, you know, cassette VCR, mm -hmm. VCR, those cassettes used to, and just to, you know, expose me to different things. He used to bring a lot of wildlife documentaries and I used to watch wildlife documentaries as a kid and I was always fascinated, but I only realized about all this, you know, all like, like conservation or forestry or natural resource management. So my interest started basically when I was, when I started my bachelor's in biology, first my bachelor's in biology. So I studied zoology, I studied botany and then I got interested in all this different natural resources stuff. That's really cool. And at your time at Point, when did you come to University of Wisconsin Stevens Point? Uh, I, I started in July 2013. So I was in Florida. So I got my PhD from University of Florida. Uh, and then I worked as a postdoc. Basically, it's a research associate position for two and a half years in Florida. Then I, I, I came to Point and I started working here since July 2013. And what are the, some of the courses that you teach at Point right now? Uh, I teach um, the, the, the two regular the courses. My regular courses are now it's called natural resources data analysis. So I teach that statistics course for the college and then and also teach forest menstruation, the forest measurement course. Now I also teach the forest measurement course in summer, summer camp, okay, in, in summer camp. And I also teach NRS250 labs, you know, so those are the courses. So my two main courses are natural resources, data analysis, and forest mensuration. Did you teach it all when you were in Florida too, or were you just studying? I was, I teach, I know, before coming to point, I had maybe eight or nine years of ex teaching experience because I taught in, 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 in Nepal too. I taught at the high school and the college level in Nepal too. After my master's in Nepal, I, I taught high school for two years and then I also taught like first year bachelor student in Nepal then I moved to Florida for my master's and as a TA I taught for four semesters in Florida as a master's student then after my master's for one year I taught as an adjunct lecturer I taught an online course for one year and I also did as a PhD student in University of Florida I also worked as a TA, so I have plenty of teaching, you know, teaching experience before coming to point. So, uh, what what is what is your favorite course uh, of the two that you have at point? Like, which one do you like more? I, I love both because I like math and statistics. Mm -hmm. You know, you've taken my class, yeah. so I love math, data, statistics. You know, and so I and in, and in both courses are quantitative kind of courses, so I like mm -hmm. teaching both. 
I know students, they, they sometimes struggle and they don't like the kind of quantitative courses, but personally, I love teaching those courses, you know? And, you know, I got also like, I changed my, during my master's, when I started working with data, I loved, you know, statistics, learning about statistics. And then, okay, I decided to do, go like by forest biometrics route. You know? mm -hmm. Even in forest, I started to focus on more quantitative aspect of forestry. You know? mm -hmm. um, what kind of projects do you, are you involved in any projects here on campus right now, or do you mostly teach? Yes, I do. No, I, I've been always involved in, so some examples of the project we did, I did here at Point is, I did two or three urban forestry work, you know, with Rich Howard, I did some uh, social, uh, urban forestry work related to, you know, volunteer participation in urban forestry, you know, impact of like construction on urban trees, those kind of projects I was involved with Rich Howard. Then I also had a project, uh, I, that was the principal investigator. So what I did is I developed leaf area and biomass models for trees in Stevens Point. And, and there's a model called iTree Eco in urban forestry. They use that model to estimate the ecosystem services. And, and, and those, the, the leaf area and biomass model in the model in iTree are developed using data from Chicago and other areas, you know, so I developed local models from data from Stevens Point and I was comparing how the prediction differs, you know, from my local model versus model from Chicago, the model developed by using trees from Chicago. So that's another project I was involved here. With my dem check, we did a project on looking at the at different factors that cause heart rot in, in sugar maple trees, you know, sugar maple trees, they have heart rot. So I, we looked at what are the different factors that are responsible for causing heart rot in sugar maple. So we looked at a project and currently right now we have a project ongoing and we have a master's student. And, 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 and also in that sugar maple project, we had a master's student who graduated you know, from that project. And now right now I have another project with Dr. Shiba Carr. And we are looking at you know, challenges and opportunities of using wood, wood, for heating schools, you know, K, K to 12 schools in Wisconsin. So we did a survey to figure out what are the challenges and opportunities of using woody biomass for heating in public schools. So that's the project. And then we're, we're analyzing the data and I'm, we're writing a manuscript from that project. And one of the, we have a master's student, she'll be graduating in, in May from that project. So I've, I've applied for another project. So I'm trying to look at effect of forest management on carbon, you know, carbon sequestration and storage in Wisconsin. So we sort of recently wrote a proposal and applied for a grant. Let's see what happens. So yeah, so I've been involved in a lot of research projects and you know, I published maybe more than 15, 16 papers after coming to point. You know? mm -hmm. What are, how do you, how do you calculate and like, how would you uh, look at the carbon sequestration in this new project that you're running at? Like how, how does so, one go about so that again, can you ask the question again? Yeah, how does one go about trying to calculate like the carbon sequestration in the project that you want to do? So, you know, there are, you can use biomass. There are a lot of biomass models. So you can, you can use, there are a lot of equations like of, to predict above ground biomass, right? And, and, and you know, almost like 50% of the dry weight biomass is assumed to be carbon, right? So that's one way to do it. But in the project, I just applied our goal is to use a model. There's a growth and yield model called forest vegetation simulator. 
It's a model developed by by USDA Forest Service. Okay, and in that, in the using that, you can simulate different kind of forest management, and that model has component to predict carbon. Oh. Okay, so in this case, in for this particular project, you can will be using using that forest vegetation simulator to estimate carbon and, and simulate different forest management. But at the same time, I can, I mean, I have developed in my past research, I have developed my own biomass models. And from that, using those biomass models, you know, above ground biomass model, I've been able to estimate carbon. You know, basically what you do is you, you have a like model to predict the dry weight biomass, right? Above ground dry weight biomass and using like the 50% of the dry weight biomass is carbon, you know? That's really impressive that you were creating your own models for this. Like, is I that- could, I could, but not for, no, I could. In the past, I have done that. Mm. I have created urban uh, biomass model for urban trees from mm. where you can estimate carbon. But for this project I just talked about, we are using the forest vegetation right. simulator. They have the model to predict the carbon and all those right. things. Right. Um, is, is that a project that um, is eventually for a graduate student or is that going to be something? Yes, that- I have, you know, in the, you know, when usually when I apply for grants, I usually apply for one graduate student, you know, so I want to, at least I've been, I want to have one graduate student. So let's mm-hmm. see what happens. Is this something that undergrads would be able to help with? Yes. And, and I have, you know, and every project, you know, I have done here, I have graduate student and there will be some undergrad help. And I might be looking for if, if everything goes well. Even the project I, we have right now, two undergraduates work on that project. You know, We had a graduate student and we two undergraduate, two or three undergraduate work in that project. For this, this, this new project also, I have budget for at least two undergraduate students to help, help, help with the project. And you know, they, would be, they would be able to design their own side project. And I always encourage undergraduate students, you know, okay, we have all this data and resources. Just think about a project, a side project you can do from this and you can present in the CNR symposium, you know? Yeah, that's really cool. So how how would you recommend that these two students that you're looking for get involved? Like, how would you recommend them applying for these projects? I will, I will. Once I have the, I have the money, I will post the announcement in the CNR job board. You guys know, right? So mm-hmm. I will, I will make the announcement and sometimes students just approach. I've seen some students are interested, you know, and they just come and talk to me. Hey, do you have any projects that I can do with you? And sometimes, you know, I, if I have something available, I'll say, okay, you are interested. I'll take you, you know. And for students. Usually I make an announcement once we have those kind of undergraduate positions. Mm-hmm. For students that may be a little bit uh, like apprehensive about maybe this is the field that they want to go into, like what recommendations would you get or what suggestions would you give um, or advice to undergraduates that may want to pursue this field? Oh, you mean the in field of in forest biometrics? Mm-hmm. You know, basically, you know, I think the important thing is if you like what a professor is doing, you know, I would just go and talk to the professor, you know, because they have experience and knowledge to guide you. Mm-hmm. So in one, one, my suggestion is don't be all the professors I know here in point, they are very helpful. And I think their motive is to help students succeed, right? So mm-hmm. don't get intimidated by your professor or don't be hesitant, no, whatever, you know, just go and talk to them, you know, just go and talk to them and they would be very, very happy to help you though, any way they can, you know, they would be very happy. So 
yeah, don't don't feel don't don't hesitate. Just go and ask, talk about your ideas. You know, and that's that's the way I would go. That's probably going to be pretty a, a little bit easier, I guess, next semester when things are planning to be in person. Yes. Yes. And. Are there any clubs and projects for students on campus that I know that there's SAF um, that a lot of the forestry, um, like traditional foresters are in, but yeah. for some of, maybe for some undergrads, for some freshmen that aren't really familiar with a lot of the uh, projects and or clubs, uh, like, could you explain a little bit about the student orgs on campus that are associated with forestry? You know, forestry is basically, I know the one I know is SAF. That's the main, mm -hmm. main organization for forestry. So, yeah, that you should join join SF because so the reason I recommend SF is because SF is the part of the this big national organization, right? So if you are a part of the SF, then you got to be you got to experience a lot of things that are happening at the national level too. So I would strongly suggest, and also you know there's a Wisconsin SAF, right? Where we, so if you are involved in the UWSP SF chapter then you might be in, involved in Wisconsin SAF chapter, and then you might be involved in the national SAF, and that will give you networking opportunity at the state level, at the national level. So I, I strongly encourage students to go and, and, and get involved with SAF, you know? Mm -hmm. and, and yeah, there's a Woodland, if you are interested, there's a Woodland sports team too. I don't know if not so many like with forestry students, there's a Woodland sports team. And if you're interested in Woodland sports, then you can, you can, involved with win woodland sports team as well okay mm -hmm. and then yeah there's a fire if you like fire you know if you want to work with fire there's a fire crew you know they they go and they go and work with dnr they go to different like prescribed burning trips i know they i i know that they have been to florida they go to oklahoma for some different burning trips. so you can join the fire crew i know if you are a restoration major there's a society of ecosystem restoration there's a uh, society too if you're if you're in urban forestry, then there's, there's arboricultural society. I think there are different organizations for different forestry majors. So yeah, there are different choices. And you talked about the different choices of um, student organizations, but what about the career paths that maybe you could go into? So as a wildlife major, there's more of like, there's bird people and there's like mammal people. Um, you talked a little bit about the pathways, but can you kind of explain what each of the pathways in forestry are? Okay, so yeah, so in forestry, you know, like you could be a forest biometrician like me. You work with growth and yield models. So I, basically what I do is I create like statistical models to predict biomass. I create statistical models to predict tree growth. I create statistical models to predict tree height or volume or biomass, things like that. So you can, or so you can go that route. So working with forest inventory, you know, analyzing data using uh, statistical techniques from other disciplines to, to manage natural resource problems. So you can be a forest biometrician like me too. Okay, so that's one route you can go. So another route you can do like be a silviculturist. So silviculture is making Mike Demchik, Dr. Mike Demchik is a silviculture, right? So the busy making a silviculture looks at different forest management and effects on forest growth and forest yield, you know. So what kind of, you know, whether when to thin the stand, you know, what kind of thinning is good, how to, what, either group selection is better or single tree selection, so that's, that's another route you can go, right? Mm -hmm. Or you can look at, you can be a, a disease or path, disease expert or entomologist, you can be a forest entomologist, right? looking at insects, right? 
or you can you do go go, go forest recreation route managing you know parks parks right parks okay and then you can also be a restoration you can get you know you could restoration so you, you know there's a degree you know we have i don't know like a lot of students might already know this so we have urban path right we have forest recreation path we can we have ecosystem restoration path and we have forest management restoration I'm sorry forest management path so basically forest management folks what they do is they can be a consulting forester you know you know right the helping landowners write management plans okay or inventory there's forest things like that okay you can be a disease expert like i've said earlier right you can be an entomologist uh, working with insects or you can be an urban forester you know or working in in urban areas okay managing trees in the urban areas you can be you can go forest recreation route managing parks okay designing parks managing parks and or you can go ecosystem restoration route where you help with restoration restoring degraded ecosystem right so there are several several paths and if you are looking for the job titles right so in all job titles and so with forestry degree you can work for the us forest service as a research scientist you know there are a lot of research stations right in forest service so you can work for as a scientist in those research station or you can work as forester for the forest service uh, you can work as a state foresters right you know, the state forest. I know a lot of our students. They work with as a state forester for DNR, right? Forester for Wisconsin DNR, and you can also work for county as a county forester, right? In in private companies, you can work as a consulting forester, or you can work as a procurement forester for for mills. Like in a lot of in Wisconsin mills, a lot of point graduates they work as a procurement forester. Okay, and if you ask for my the my kind of like the biometrics or nets the biometrics kind of position. So you can work as I was, you know, after I decided to talk with you, I was Googling some jobs. So like uh, Colorado state forest, you know, state forestry, you know, and South Carolina, I think forest service, Colorado state forest service, they were looking for quantitative people that can do forestry. Like some of the positions where, forest inventory specialist you know you'll inventory forest and I'll collect the data manage the data analyze the data to produce report or whatever things you are interested in so you can work as a data analyst analyst in forestry you can work as forestry technician collecting data and using different tools right you can there you can work as quantitative forestry analyst and warehouser in Seattle they were looking for quantitative forestry analyst basically a person who can create models create models collect you know, do forest inventory, use existing models, those kind of things, you know. And you can work as resource specialist, modeler. So these are some of the job titles if you want to go into biometrics route. You know, one thing about the biometrics route is because there are not that many people that do quantitative stuff in forestry, right? Most of the quantitative people are already in engineering or other disciplines, right? Mm -hmm. So there's a dearth, a lack of people who do growth and yield models and, and, and the kind of work I do because... We don't have that many people do, who do both forestry and statistics or quantitative thing, you know? So and there are good job opportunities in, in this field if you want to. Yeah, and, and I always encourage my advisees, at least some of the students want to go to graduate school. So I've been at least able to motivate at least two students to go to biometrics route, you know? Mm -hmm. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, thank you for the, your time today. I mean, that was all the questions kind of that I had for you. And... I hope I answered all your questions.
Yeah, it, that was, your experiences are phenomenal. And I really hope that students are able to reach out to you now that um, like they know more about you. Uh, I've, I've talked to you a little bit about this kind of stuff, but I even learned more this, this meeting too. So I'm glad that I got the chance to. Yeah, you know, I mean, I have school stories about like, you know, chased by wild elephants and, <laughs> and rhinos when I was working back in Nepal, you know, so yeah. Yeah, well, I hope students uh, muster up the courage to be able to talk to you. And I hope that we'll be able to see each other again next fall in person. Yeah, sure. You know, and, and I want to say in this in this podcast, hey, please. Yeah, I would be very happy. So anytime if you want to do risk, risk, if you want to discuss research or job opportunities or any interest that you might have related to your career and you want to discuss with me, I would be open. My door will be open to you guys. So please, 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 please feel free to talk to me. I would be happy to help you whatever way I can. Yes. Sweet. All right. Thank yeah, you. For thank me. you, partner, for doing this. Yeah. Now, as a special treat for everyone who stayed this long, I give a fun fact about something that could be about absolutely anything. And this is about the honorable mention that Dr. Timosina gave us about the freshwater dolphin. So the Gangs River dolphin, also known as the Ganga, inhibits parts of the Gangs, the Meghna, and the Brahmaputra River. Um, so these are in India, Nepal, and Bangladesh. So these dolphins are locally known as Susu, which often I think is supposed to refer to the noise uh, that the dolphins are said to make when it breathes. So this dolphin is essentially blind. It's kind of ugly. They have little tiny, little, little tiny eyes that like have like folds that go overneath of it it's kind of gross it looks like someone took a little pencil and stuck it in a pastry that was unbaked so these dolphins can detect only the direction of light so pretty weird but it's pretty cool so thanks for tuning in and make sure to check out environmental education and interp with megan sb next week